Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of director video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched True Identity. True Identity, Miles Pope, played by Lenny Henry, is a struggling black actor looking for his big break. After a gig, he takes a flight back home where he meets Leland Carver, played by Frank Langella, a producer in New York City. Turbulence hits the plane and everyone thinks they're going to die, and so Carver admits to Miles that he is actually a mob boss that the FBI thinks is dead. When everyone survives the flight, Miles is stuck with a target on his back and tries to hide from the mob as a white man. Screenplay by Andy Breckman, directed by Charles Lane, and released on August 23rd, 1991. So before we get into uh, the meat of things, we actually have some coming attractions again for this. Before the VCR broke. Um, (laughs) We were able to see the previews for three movies. Two, Uh, Two of them are from 1992. Yeah. First up was Medicine Man with Lorraine Bracco, who we just saw on Switch, and uh, Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. I had <laughs> no clue that that was like an action-adventure type of a movie. Where he invented a cure for cancer and they're yeah. coming after him? I guess so. I, I had no idea that was the premise of I've, that I've movie. only seen the box art and it just looks like a terrible drama. You know, it just looked like a a standard drama. Uh, But evidently there's some action thriller stuff going on in there, too. Uh, eh, Whatever. Uh, (laughs) Next up was Blame It on the Bellboy with Brian Brown, who we've seen in FX2, and Dudley Moore. uh, I don't know if he's in any 91 movies. And then Bronson Pinchot. Uh, That's another one that I definitely was aware of. But yeah, but never I don't think I've ever seen. Never cared to see it. The this did not. But it just reminds me of the movie Four Rooms. Okay, because it's in a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the <laughs> and there's just like multiple storylines going on, maybe. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely. I don't. I. I'd be surprised if it was segmented like Four Rooms was, but. Yeah, the, the, I don't know. Just looks like it's gonna try to be like a, a silly, terrible comedy. Uh, and then lastly, it was Ernest Scared Stupid, which we've already seen. So that was the the previews yeah. for this VHS. So there were some finally. It's not always nice when that happens because not all of them do, which is strange. Um, but in terms of true identity, have you seen? it before no i've never okay. i've never heard of this movie before i mean it's not too surprising uh this was meant to be like lenny henry's big break in the u.s uh it's produced by disney by way of touchworks i believe it's a little weird that it's produced by disney 
I mean, they have their hands in a bunch of different stuff. And, you know, they had their... Again, I think it is Touchworks, which yeah. is, you know, Touch. separate, and but, like, you know, meant to be, like, they're more, like, adult or PG, whatever. Like PG-13 mm-hmm. type movies. Yeah. It's... Okay, yeah. I think because the, when this I was... R? I think this might be R. Oh, is it? I mean, it seems PG-13 to me, but there's... I don't remember. I mean, they they talk about whacking people, <laughs> and, um, and there is some blood. It's not super gory, but there's like, or yeah, at least fake blood. There's and fake the, blood. It, this is like the special um, effects of the one scene. Yeah, it's this was like FX two and if looks could kill. Yeah. Kind of combined. Yeah, it really was. But like the worst parts of it, kind. Of, I mean, neither of those movies are all that good. This movie was just super boring it's kind of well when i was reading up about it yeah this was supposed to be a break for lenny henry and they were they disney was going to do like a three-part like was it a three-part movie for true identity or just three movies for him to do in the u.s just a three overall three picture deal okay because i was like thinking is this gonna be his shtick now? Because at the end of the movie, you know, he's like an actor. Right. But I was like, is he gonna be an actor, but also using his friend's makeup to do undercover stuff in the next couple movies? Like, they were trying to make this a sequel, but I guess not. I don't think so. I don't think they were trying to make it a sequel. Um, but, I mean, it could have been like FX and FX2 where they just decided, hey, yeah, the first one did reasonably well, so let's make another one. Right. Maybe they would have done something like that. I mean, in terms of a showcase of Lenny Henry's talents, I think that's probably the best yeah. case for it. But the packaging for it is, is it just falls flat. He has to kind of shine through the the dullness. Um, it's it's sad that the the deal basically got canceled after the failure of this movie because it it made less than five million on a fifteen million budget. So it, it flopped pretty hard. You get him doing different impressions. You get him doing different characters. You're showcasing his charisma and his, like, you know, possible improv talent, sort of like we saw in Bernard and the Genie. Right. But everything else around it is just lackluster, and that it's... hurts the overall package. So it doesn't really get you, you know, you don't get to learn who he is because nobody's going to see this. Right. It's... <laughs> Fine. Like he, I like him. I liked him in Bernard and the Genie. I did too, yeah. And I like him. I mean, some of the yeah, stuff like he did made me. La- <laughs> some of the stuff he did did make me laugh. So I wasn't like cringing at what he was doing or anything like that. No, we were it's both just... worried about this movie because of the the white face. Yeah, but it's kind of like, you know, white. Do you ever see white chicks? No, I never saw White Chicks, actually. Oh, okay. Like, I, I, I meant, you know what? I, I meant to look up what the plot of White Chicks was beforehand to understand if it was basically like this again. Like, are they hiding from people in order, like, I, in It's been so long since I've only seen that movie, like, once. But they don't, it's not like, it's kind of like how, you know how, Soul, do you ever see Soul Man? I did not see Soul okay. Man. Okay, so like Soul Man is like a white guy who's just like blackface, blackface yes. just to get into like a 
good college because of the whole affirmative, affirmative action, action yes. deal. I think with white chicks, the two brothers, the Wayne's brothers, yeah. they were like FBI agents or something, and they had to like be undercover, so they went to high school as, or something like that as white chicks. Okay. So it's not like... Not exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and, it's and, not like how Soul Man is, where it's like, I want to get into this prestigious school. Right. But I'm just a poor <laughs> white boy. Yeah. I'm a white boy who doesn't ever get any chances. So right. Gonna, yeah. This... This isn't like this, too. He just is unfortunately being chased by a mob boss... So he has to go undercover, sort of. Because the cops and the FBI yeah, do the not believe him. Yeah. So, like, that's the main part so of it. His is, like, friend... the only way to prevent this is he has to go to his friend who does special effects makeup for movies. Yeah. And he dresses him up as a white man so that he's, like, completely, like, invisible or yeah. unrecognizable. I mean, he could have used his, like, his black skin and just given him, like, a bigger nose or, you know... Different facial, yeah, like, different facial features. Different eye contact, eye color, or something, whatever. Just, right. Just to warp his face a little bit, but whatever. But that doesn't really get you in the the hook of the movie, which is you know this black person in white face. Yeah. And we should definitely mention the Eddie Murphy sketch because the writer of this movie, Andy Breckman, did that sketch, and this is an adaptation of his yeah. SNL sketch where Eddie Murphy went around posing as a white man. Um, and, like, learning of all the different privileges he was being given. You know, it's, like, very exaggerated where he would walk into a store and he would just be given a bunch of random free stuff and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So it was all about, like, the, the white privilege aspect of it. This movie does not dive into that, like, at all. Not really. There's just, um... There's just a... the cab hailing. Yeah, that was the only thing that I can think of. And where... I guess that he was able to walk into the country club... By saying, hey, I know that guy. Yeah, instead of being confronted like, hey, what are you doing here? But other than that, like yeah, you, you would think that like maybe he would use that to benefit his acting or something. Because he's struggling as, a, as an actor and his teacher is telling him that he's not acting black enough and that he needs to be funkier and yeah. doing a Harlem-esque. I, I think the other important thing is like he doesn't want to be white at all. He's only doing it the bare minimum amount of times when he has to go out in public and try to confront uh, Leland Carver or the goons who are after him. That's the only time he's in makeup. He doesn't want to be white. Like, he's not trying to use that privilege to benefit himself in any way. Right. But that also means we don't get to see what those benefits are. Most of the time when he's getting any sort of benefit is because everyone thinks he's this assassin, Frank LaMotta who was originally meant to come after Miles. Um, there's a confrontation in uh, Miles' apartment, and Miles has a waterbed. They struggle with the gun. The waterbed gets shot with really shitty, squishy sound effects. Um, Lamada gets pushed onto the bed. The radio that's above the bed falls in and it electrocutes him. So now the assassin is dead. Yeah, and then when... Miles is already in his white face makeup when the extra... Yeah, Leland Carver's, like, right-hand man, or yeah. kind of like his 
bodyguard? I don't know. Bodyguard slash, (laughs) yeah, whatever. Whatever comes in and sees the dead body and then thinking that Miles is the guy that Leland hired to kill Miles. Yeah, I forget so what they, I forget what they said is um because they weren't claiming that Lamada was Miles. They were saying it was like his landlord or something like that. I don't know. Right. And that like Miles just wasn't around. So mm-hmm. um but since he was in the white face makeup, Anthony who is the goon um thinks he is Lamada and you know they they bring the yeah, they body hide, out hide together the body and, and throw it in his car (laughs) and he's like oh yeah the boss wants to see you so then he gets wrapped up in everything right it's a long build up to get to that point that's like almost i don't know it felt like half the movie had gone past before all that kind of frantic stuff happened trying to be one step ahead from the mafia being on his trail so he when he is as Lamada meeting Leland Carter for the first time, that's when he and his wife have this artist slash design, like, is she just like an interior designer, but also an artist? Yeah. (laughs) That's what I was trying to figure out. Like, is she both or what? Yeah. But Christy... And uh, they notice that, you know, Miles or Slash Lamada has like a crush on her or something because they're like, oh, he's looking at you or whatever. But uh, I think Miles also wanted, I mean, he, yeah, that's his love interest eventually in the movie. But then like in the beginning, he's trying to get Christy to help him bust Leland because Leland is actually, you know, like undercover a mob boss because Leland poses as this I don't want to like Well, what's weird is like he says he's been living a clean life for so long he wants to keep living it and the only way to do that is if nobody ever knows that he used to be Frank Lucino, the mob boss. Yeah, the, he, but So he's, he becomes, he's apparently legit. Yeah, he becomes a like a producer or what to these Yeah. Broadway plays. Yeah, that's what I, I was like. In the what exactly like does a, he do? Yeah, he's so, a producer of, of different okay, plays, so, including a production of Othello that that Miles really wants in. Yeah, because that's when we're going back and forth and stuff. But when Miles goes on an airplane just to audition for some role, and he has to go to L.A. He's going from New York to L.A. and that's where the whole thing where he he's trying to get a a seat well he has a seat but then when he gets to the airport they're like oh yeah this flight or your seat has been bumped and the only seat available is in first class so he- he's being bumped from the plane completely yeah and he raises a stink and then like, pretends to call somebody he pretends to be um like the trainer or somebody for like a famous championship boxer and so oh, he's like okay. getting on the phone and like you know you like, can't oh, believe what they're doing to me and they're like oh. oh it looks like a first place first class seat just opened up for you You're, okay and so he didn't have to pay for it he just like he oh i thought they were he like conned his way into it because they were gonna fuck him over okay so just to go to this audition and he sits next to leland, leland and he sees his name on 
like some papers that he's reviewing and he knows the name Leland because of Othello because it's being produced by him so that's when they start talking mm-hmm. <laughs> and Miles is trying to like get a just to like get a nudge in to be like hey I'm an actor but Leland's like leave me the fuck alone basically because he's like I want to change seats and the flight attendant's like no there's no more seats available But then all of a sudden, the plane goes into, like, major turbulence as if everyone's gonna die. Yeah, the the entire plane is freaking out. You can see everyone, like, you know, doing, like, the the Star Trek got hit by a missile type of a thing where they're all just like... (laughs) Well, it's kind of like the movie Airplane 2. I haven't seen Airplane 2. No, the the movie Airplane as well. as well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Where, you know, when... People are, like, overly dramatic. Like, yeah. there's a couple saying, I've been cheating on you with so-and-so. And then the woman's like, I've been cheating on you with the same person. Right. Like, all this whatever stuff. And all these people saying, I love you, we're gonna die. Yeah, everyone's submitting their and secrets then this and is for like some weird. Reason. I don't know why Leland did this, but... I just to brag me like hey I got away with it like it's amazing he he basically says like it's amazing that this is the way I'm gonna go out I was hounded by the FBI for so long and like this is what's gonna now kill I'm me. gonna die next to some has been or whatever yeah, wanna never be, will be actor. <laughs> never will be actor like he's just thinking aloud but talking to Miles like look at me I'm gonna fucking die and I was this notoria mafia dude yeah I I escaped my fate and then this is how I'm going down. And so, yeah, like, Miles hears all that, and then, like, shortly after, of course, the plane straightens out, and everything's fine, and they land a couple minutes later. And then Leland's like, oh, I confessed all these things to this guy, so now I must kill him. Right, but Miles knows immediately to run, and so it's sort of like an if-looks-could-kill airport chase, but, you know, Miles is able to get away, um, except without the fancy spy cars, of course. Um, And then, yeah, like, that's... There's no fancy things <laughs> so i mean like even like getting to that point of the like the plane takes yeah. a while to get to because you have to have all these other different scenes about him like trying to do the acting thing you have an opening scene with the cops all running around uh trying to get frank lucino and seeing like the yacht explode and then you know all that kind of stuff happens too you have to introduce Dwayne, who is the friend with the makeup and everything um, so all of that kind of, and, and the agent Harvey, you have to introduce all these different characters before you even get to the plane. And then after the plane, you have to go to the cops to complain about that thing. And he gets wrapped up in a police lineup to again, kind of like reinforce the racial aspects. He's like, oh, you're a black man in the police station. Here, yeah. Join this lineup of, of suspects. Um, and then the woman chooses him, chooses him, but then she's like, Oh wait, no, it could be this other guy. So, you know, we see that. Yeah. And you see the black cop rolling his eyes, the white woman. And then he goes to the FBI as well. And the FBI Just doesn't also believe. doesn't believe it at all. And nobody wants to help him. So that's when Dwayne's like, you know, if you really want to do something about this, then this is what you got to do. But it takes a while to get people to believe him. Mm-hmm. So it's a very long build-up to get to anything meaningful in this movie, and at that point, I'm I'm, I'm checked out because <laughs> it's it's a slow pace all along. Even though yeah, this movie is an hour and a half. Yeah. So there's it's not like much all music either, gotta... so I think that helps, like yeah. or, or hurts the pacing too. Yeah, it 
Yeah, there's all this stuff that's being jumbled in like 35, 45 minutes. <laughs> and when he finally realizes, oh, I can use this makeup to get back at Leland and he just tries to be a step ahead by using or having Christy help him but also Dwayne because of the makeup stuff yeah because now he has to convince Christy to be on his side yeah and so like he, he sees Christy and he's like you know gets her her card or whatever and he's like okay well maybe I can get her to ask him for info that I can then use to go to the FBI and get them to help yeah and so he goes to the apartment, not as the white man, but first as James Brown's brother. Which is so weird, but I think that was just to showcase Lenny Henry's yes. range as a actor or comedian. Yeah, sort of like adding Kevin Pollock to Ricochet and just having him do random impressions just because he was known for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. Um, so I, I mean I don't know Lenny Henry Lenny Henry's stand up but like maybe he does impressions as part of it I really don't know right um, just to like be like hey my brother needs an interior designer yeah and you came highly recommended from you know it was Leland's yeah from wife, Leland Carver's Rita. wife Rita and then he just like busts on in and starts looking at her art pretends that. Rita dated the brother James Brown. Right. For a, but a don't, bit. don't yeah. say anything. That didn't go well. Gets tased. Uh, and, you know. But it, like, it takes a bit. the way he eventually gets Christy is also so quickly, too. It was like the next meeting. It was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll help. It wasn't like hardcore convincing. It was, yeah, I mean, what. You have to keep the pace moving for one, but like part of it is like, yeah, she he goes to the house again, um, in the white face makeup. Yeah, but then yeah, after he she takes it off, him. and yeah. then like yeah, he unbuttons his shirt and shows his his the black skin underneath his shirt, and it's like, look, I'm I'm this guy, and then like they break into the house and whatever, yeah, and, so and they... she overhears him saying about like murdering Miles Pope, and then she fully believes him, mm-hmm. and then in the meantime, like Leland's kind of going down his throat because as Lamada, it's like I want you to kill Miles within like 48 hours or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like why, isn't, why your... isn't this done yet? You're, you're, right. you're supposed to be this big shot Las Vegas hitman. Why is this taking so long to find this stupid little actor? Yes. Uh, and so yeah, like he has to keep on like trying to stall and delay for time and so he meets them at like the country club and you know they have a confrontation in the sauna and his it gets racial where he uses a, a slur not the n-word but a different slur um but yeah his makeup starts, his to, makeup run, starts to run and that's when leland's like something's going on with your skin yeah and he's and, like oh is this a bad hair dye? yeah like, and not then, enough comedy in some of these scenes though either it's just like that is the comedy of the scene is they're having a normal conversation about this job and then the makeup starts to run a little bit mm. That's it. I don't know. But anyway, they, long story short is they eventually find enough proof that Christy and Dwayne, or whatever, like, are willing to fully help. And then they say they've, they have they finally well, killed Miles. Yeah, Leland is telling his right-hand man, Anthony, be like, can you just go check up on Miles' place to see if LaMotta actually killed him? 
Yeah, I forget if Lamar if he was... actually says, hey, I got him, he's dead, go check his apartment or something. No, I think Leland was just like, like they... he had it. He was just like, can you just go check or something? Whatever. But, I mean, he was in position as the thing, so like, I'm assuming that like, yeah, I did. they were told, yeah, I think that there was some sort of phone call and be like, the job is done. And then Anthony is like, you know, okay, I'll go check. Um, and so when he goes check, they again use Dwayne's makeup skills to their advantage, and you see miles and various different body parts all strewn over the couch so it's like his head is on the cushion and then I like think, his leg yeah. and his arms are in different spots and so you know he's he's been chopped up to pieces and left for for dead on the yeah i think miles yeah. called anthony and said yeah i ripped because i remember he said i ripped him up and his guts are oh right yeah right like or... something about oh you're you're talking mm-hmm. about making sandwiches really inspired me and so i cut him up and yeah yeah, up. yeah his yeah. guts are everywhere and that's when leland's like go to his apartment to confirm that's real yeah uh and so, so you know it's, it's just a, a special effect but you know it's a it's a decent one i mean yeah and then anthony just goes in sees like the random body parts and he pretends to like gag and want to throw up and then leaves like yeah. he doesn't go further into investigating yeah he doesn't like try to clean it up or whatever either. he's just he like just yeah it. it's been done yeah so and then meanwhile miles is well Miles is still trying to get jobs as an actor. Yeah, this is the stupidest part about the whole movie. After all this is done and they think Miles is dead, Harvey, the agent, gets him an audition for Othello, which is a Leland Carver production. Mm-hmm. Why would Miles agree to that? Because I understand he really it's wants Othello, to be in it. but that clearly shows, hey, I'm not dead. If Leland has any, like... Yeah. Like, but- that's clearly exposing yourself... And be like, hey, yeah, I didn't actually die. But I think he, so Le- Miles wanted to use that to his advantage to be to confront Leland because that's what he does at the end. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think that's his main motivation. He's just like, I really want to be Othello. Yeah, because he was pissed off that he was an understudy. There's like no guarantee he was going to be on stage. Right. It- the only reason he was on stage is because. They found out that he was the understudy, and then they sent a car to hit James Earl Jones, who is the actual lead of Othello. Yeah. Right? Which makes Miles now the lead in Othello. Yeah. So this was Leland's doing to put him on stage, so that they could shoot him on stage. Yeah. So... But then Miles is finally convinced the FBI to come get Leland... Yeah, at least at least the the main guy who was trying to take him down before Houston, he has been convinced to like try this, and he has to convince his boss, um, be like, hey, look, I've never steered you wrong in the past. I think this is what's happening. Let's try this, and then you can have my badge if it if it's wrong, and and so they get a little team together. So yeah, they set up this big sting at the Othello opening. Um, where Miles is doing this monologue, we see Anthony go up to the balcony with a gun, uh, or at least a, a briefcase that looks like it could hold a gun. And so all the FBI go, guys go up there and confront him and stop him before he shoots. But meanwhile, there's another guy with a gun <laughs> yeah. that, that Leland Carver clearly knows exists, I think? Or is it meant to be... Someone on Dwayne and Miles' side. I couldn't grasp that. Me neither. Because <laughs> I, I didn't know if they, he was also part of 
this FBI or the police or what. Because it's Dwayne, Miles, and Christy kind of in the backstage, like in the back parts, like in the backstage, hoping that all of this go- falls through. But yeah, like did the- they get someone else <laughs> to join their team? I don't know. Okay, so Dwayne rigs up the costume yeah. with squibs to go off. And there's a guy who is up in the rafters. Like, how did they know that shoots, he was going to get shot? Who shoots Miles. So, like, is is he shooting the blanks that trigger the squibs and he's on their side? To make it look like he was going to be shot anyways? Or did he get to the guy and, like, replace his gun with blanks so he thought he was shooting and he wasn't? There's so, so they much, can, like, nothing... So they can show Leland... Hey, now I'm really dead? The ending part is dumb. (laughs) That's that's all there is to it. The the second gunman part, which isn't explained, you never see him interact with anybody on either side at any point, is just meant to confuse the audience. Right, the audience is like... (laughs) It does. Yeah, because they're they're there to see Othello, and they're like, this is off script, what's going on? Well, I meant the, the movie watching audience. Oh, like, well, I thought that, like, the audience watching Othello. Well, yeah, they're confused, too. Uh, I think there's, like, a woman in the audience who keeps on, like, making random remarks. And, yeah. Um, like, wow, you know, Shakespeare is so exciting or something like that. Yeah, she's like, this is Othello? Wow. Um, so, anyway, like, he gets shot twice, or at least everyone thinks he got shot twice. And he's going around, and uh, he does this fake custom monologue in Shakespearean rhyming schemes mm-hmm. and uh, talks directly about Leland slash Frank and dies in his lap or fake dies. Fake dies, yeah. In his lap. And um, <laughs> Leland and, then, and his wife are like, what the fuck? And then uh, yeah, the FBI comes in and arrests gets, him. Yeah, gets Leland. And the wife is like, oh, so you're Frank Lucino? And like, <laughs> she doesn't like seem like, to you've care been that much. Frank Lucino? Like, because like, okay, oh, you're really Frank Lucino? Yeah, huh. Leland says that well, when that plane, this is going back to when the plane was going down, he was saying how he got like plastic surgery. I was like, how hardcore of plastic surgery did you get to look totally different? Right, yeah, because we don't get to see what he looked like before. Yeah, when they showed him the Lucino in the beginning of the movie when the FBI tried to show him, he was like way far off, like on a boat. And I think it's like a hundred like, feet away. I think even then it was like just a man. Random guy. Oh. No, I think because I, I was trying to take the screenshots before the oh, before we had to record, and I think it's just a mannequin, so it's not so, even a real person. Because they blow up with the boat. Yeah, and they assume that he's dead. Yeah. Which I mean, if you're like in the FBI, don't you want to like double check for a body? Right. Didn't seem like it was that deep of a water. That they yeah. Find something. So anyway, yeah, like, and then that happens, they're arrested, and then uh, happily ever after, Christy and, and Miles go to go on a plane, they get the same runaround by the, the agent, and so they decide to take a train or something instead, and yeah. happily ever after. I do want to talk about Dwayne's character a little bit more, just okay. briefly, just because it's the director playing yeah. that. I'm not sure if you read up on that too, but um, <laughs> he apparently casted himself as, as Dwayne, so he would not be fired as director. Uh, I guess he was very scared of that happening for whatever reason from his talks with Disney or something. 
Um, so that's the reason why he is the best friend. And he is not an actor. He should not be He's an actor. He's like, Spike Lee cast himself just to be like yeah. the friend, like the moral friend, like the go-to friend. Right. And that's kind of what it looked like here. Yeah, and here, like, there wasn't, I don't know, the, the jokes around Dwayne was that he liked to be promiscuous with bigger women. Yeah. And Miles was, like, shaming him for that. Uh, but it, like, kept on happening, and at one point, like, he's talking to a woman at the club, and he's like, you know, if you don't be with me, I'm gonna, like, cut my finger off, and he cuts his finger off, because he's a special effects yeah, guy. Yeah, like a whatever. fake finger being cut off, and that's... The woman is, like, freaked out by that. But it's it's a recurring joke, and, like, that's the only joke that they have Yeah, using this special... So, the special effects that he makes, it's not... When we first see his apartment, you can see, like, scary masks and stuff in the background. That's mm-hmm. why I was like, oh, this is FX2, because it made me think of that. Plan. I mean, I wish there was more of that type of stuff in there. Yeah, they should have used more... Of his makeup artistry, I guess. Yeah. For, like, they could have even dressed Christy up, you know. She could have been undercover, too, if she wanted to. Yeah. Or just uh, Miles playing different characters besides just the one, like, brother of James Brown, I think. Yeah, he does a couple accents over the phone. But But aside from that. It's not, like, a lot of makeup changes it's, no. it's either being the Lamada guy and then the only other thing is the James Brown brother thing yeah yeah it's it's interesting because I don't know it seems like this is a movie that they really wanted Eddie Murphy to be on and then when he said no he's like okay Lenny Henry you can come and do a US movie hmm. <laughs> because this is an Eddie Murphy sketch Eddie Murphy did, like, a James Brown thing on SNL, too. Yeah. You know, he's... This is, like, coming to America in terms of, like, different characters. Yeah. So... Yeah. Again, Lenny Henry did the best he could with the material he was given. No fault of his, as far as I can tell. Uh, No awards to speak of. Not even a Razzie, which is kind of the most surprising thing in this, is that there's no Razzie for this. But, yeah. Uh, Charles Lane as the director slash Dwayne was spirit nominated for Best First Feature, Best Director, and Best Male Lead for Sidewalk Stories, uh, which was a year prior to this. This helped, you know, helped get him this big break. Uh, He also did a short film in 1977 called A Place in Time that won a Student Academy Award. And he is also director of an American Playhouse episode, but has not done a whole lot since. Andy Breckman, we talked about as the writer, is Emmy-nominated for uh, writing SNL, uh, Late Night with David Letterman, and also Triumph Selection Watch in 2016. He's a Daytime Emmy winner for Hot Hero Sandwich, which is a children's program I know nothing about. He's also written movies like Moving, Arthur 2 on the Rocks, and Hot to Trot and IQ, and he's also responsible for the TV series Monk. Uh, we talked about Len- Lenny Henry before in Bernard and the Genie. Frank Langella as Leland Carver is Oscar BAFTA and Golden Globe nominated for Frost Nixon. He also won a Tony for that same role. Uh, He's also uh, a winner for Seascape, Fortune's Fool, and The Father. Those are all Tonys. Golden Globe nominated for A Diary of a Mad Housewife. Emmy nominated for I, Leonardo, A Journey of the Mind. Spirit nominated for Starting Out in the Evening. 
and Saturn nominated for Dracula and The Box. Uh, he played Skeletor in Masters of the Universe, which is just like so much weird casting with that movie. Uh, yeah. He was also in Junior, Cutthroat Island, and also The Americans. J.T. Walsh played Houston, the FBI agent. Uh, he's in several other 1991 movies. We've seen him in Backdraft. He's also in Iron Maze and Defenseless. Emmy nominated for Hope. Also Saturn nominated for Needful Things, Breakdown, Dark Skies, uh, Sling Blade, Hoffa, and Pleasantville, or some of his other uh, credits. He's uh, like a big-time character actor who passed away very, um, like, four years after this was done. But he was, he was like, everywhere in the 90s, that guy. Amory Johnson as Christy is also everywhere. We're going to see her again next week in The Five Heartbeats, and she's also in Strictly Business. Uh, she's been in I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, Dream Date, Robot Jocks, Hollywood Shuffle, What's Happening Now, which is where I probably learned of her first, uh, and then in the Heat of the Night TV show in 1991. Um, she was in, in Living Color, and then also Melrose Place. She's been around forever, too. Uh, Michael McKeon played Harvey Cooper... Uh, this is his only only appearances in this as the agent, Harvey Cooper. Oscar nominated for Best Original Song for A Mighty Wind. Grammy winner for A Mighty Wind. And also nominated for the Spinal Tap Back From The Dead record. Uh, Emmy nominated for Better Call Saul. Uh, he's also, of course, been in Spinal Tap, Clue, Best in Show. He had uh, a role in Dinosaurs, the TV show. Um, and most people know him from Laverne and Shirley. But in 1991, he was also in Murder in High Places and also one of those episodes of Morton and Hayes, which is a show that we talked about briefly. Mm. Uh, Peggy Lipton was Rita, the, the wife of, of Leland Carver. Emmy nominated four times over for her role in Mod Squad with one Golden Globe win for that same role. Took a long break from acting and then came back to do Twin Peaks around this time. So, uh, Also the former wife of Quincy Jones and mother of Rashida. James Earl Jones, this is his only 1991 movie. Oh, no, it's not. Never mind. He's also in Convicts and Scorchers. He was in Gabriel's Fire, the TV show around this time. He was in Pros and Cons. He was in MathNet for Square One TV. Uh, but Oscar nominated for The Great White Hope, and he has an honorary Oscar win in 2012. Emmy nominated for East Side, West Side by Dawn's Early Light, Picket Fences, Under One Roof, Frasier, and Everwood. Uh, a winner for Heatwave, Gabriel's Fire. Uh, he has a Grammy win for uh, Spoken Word Recordings. That's not a surprise considering his voice. Spirit nominated for Mate One. Uh, Image nominated for Field of Dreams and Happily Ever After, the TV show, not the movie. Cry the Beloved Country and also Frasier. Um, and also winner for like The Lion King and Claudine. Tony nominated for On Golden Pond and The Best Man and also Tony winner for The Great White Hope fences and a lifetime achievement award so i don't know i think i've seen multiple things where he sort of has the egot but the honorary win maybe doesn't count to some people for the oscar so okay i don't know use your own judgment there's a lot of different people who are sprinkled in here for cameos i think uh, the two that i want to mention really quickly here um well i'll get to actually frank lamada first christopher collins played frank lamada uh, he's also in 1991's Rover Dangerfield, but he's known for his voice acting work in Transformers and also in G.I. Joe, where he was Cobra Commander for a long time. He passed away in 1994. Um, but he was also, a little bit of trivia, the original voice of Mr. Burns and Moe on The Simpsons. Mm. 
uh, but was fired after just a few episodes because he apparently was extremely hard to work with, uh, according to Matt Groening. So those roles went to Harry Shearer and Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria. Instead. But yeah, Christopher Collins is officially part of The Simpsons' original cast. Uh, and then, oh, yeah, so in terms of cameos, you got uh, Ruth Brown played Martha, who uh, was like the raunchy club singer. Yeah. Uh, she's like an R&B legend. Uh, she's actually in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In, uh, inductee is in 1993. Uh, she's done songs like Teardrops From My Eyes, Oh What a Dream, Mambo Baby, Mama He Treats Your Daughter Mean, Don't Deceive Me. Um, so they try to throw in some people and then Melvin Van Peebles is there as the taxi driver. There's a scene where the taxi driver is talking about like racial identity and heritage and everything while Miles Pope is putting on his white face makeup piece by piece in the backseat of the thing. Yeah, we see that taxi scene and then the other taxi scene where, um, Miles in his makeup sees a black guy trying to get... A cab and then you're you know they're all like passing him so yeah. that's when miles in his makeup hails a cab and it stops immediate for him yeah. immediately and so he gives it to the, the black man who the was black waiting. guy and then the guy's like oh you're so nice whatever but then he hails the next cab and then he has a fight with a woman yeah she's like no i saw it first but then they end up in the cab together and then he makes up like all this like weird shit just so she can get out yeah, because she's, like, talking about how she knows him yeah. and all this other stuff, and then he... And he's like, he yeah, I was fired like because, you know, I was arrested for... It was something, like, really egregious. She was like, ugh, and that's when she wanted to get out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a weird scene. Yeah. Uh, but Melvin Matt Peebles is in the in the one where he's talking about racial identity and, and you know, who you are, and uh, he's putting on the white face makeup in the back seat, and then there's, like, the double take at the end, of course. Yeah. Um, but Melvin Mad Peoples, we've seen his son's work before. We have not seen him, because this is the only movie he's in. Daytime Emmy winner for CBS School Break Special. Image Award winner for the best score for Watermelon Man, which is, like, basically a body swap movie where it's the opposite, where you have a racist white guy who is transported into the body of a black man. Um... Tony nominated for Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death and also Don't Play Us Cheap, which also became a movie later. Uh, he was in Sunlight, or he did Sunlight, and also his most notable film, I think, in terms of, like, success, financially, was Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. So, there we go. I think that's the cast and crew. We can move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay, so this movie was released... On August 23rd, 1991, which was a Friday, it had the same release date as Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. I'd be so surprised if there's, like, a release date that we haven't covered by now in terms of a Friday. I feel like we've covered all the Fridays by now. You know? Yeah, I've, I mean, a lot of this stuff is repetitive now. Yeah, I mean, after, like, almost 150 episodes, we're running out of weeks. Well, yeah, there's just, like, a lot of movies are released around the same time as each other. Yep. So, I decided to do something a British again because of Lenny Henry. Sure. And I went on YouTube and I saw something, I was gonna talk about Nirvana, but 
this is the comeuppance of Nirvana because Nevermind was released in September of 1991 and the first single Smells Like Teen Spirit it came out at the first week of September I was gonna talk about it but because it's basically like one week later mm-hmm. <laughs> but Nirvana was already kind of huge in the UK and on this day uh, or for this weekend August 23rd to August 25th 1991 they it was the reading festival in the UK do you know the reading festival like I've heard of it it's kind of like the Coachella or Lollapalooza of the UK okay and I found the lineup for that festival and it's also known as like the august bank holiday festival they always do it at the last weekend of august okay and i don't know why but the last weekend of august is a bank holiday in the uk i like i looked it up it was like in this in the 60s the last monday in august is just considered a bank holiday Hmm. and that's when the reading festival always happens um, so the, when I looked up for any artists that were playing at the reading festival, it was Nirvana. And that was the, I found their entire set on YouTube of the Nirvana set at the reading festival, which I'll put on the website. Cause it's like 40 minutes long okay. and I kind of like skipped around and I was like, okay, cool. But yeah, they played on this day. The other acts that were playing at the Reading Festival were Iggy Pop, Sonic Youth, Populate Itself, Dinosaur Jr., Babes in Toyland. But the Reading Festival also used to have a comedy center, kind of like when we went to Pitchfork that one year and they did... Several years ago, yeah. And it was like, they only did that once. And I guess it didn't do great because they never did it again it was weird because you could still hear the bands in the background while you're at the stand-up stage so it was like off-putting and like you can always hear things clearly maybe that's what happened here because when i was looking at the i mean the reading festival lineups now do not have a comedy tent or stage anymore it was like a 90s thing i guess but at the comedy tent, I was seeing. I was gonna see. I was like, was Lenny Henry there? <laughs> Probably not. But no, he wasn't. the The headliner for Friday, this on August twenty third, nineteen ninety one, was Dennis Leary. Okay. And I'm not sure. I didn't look up these other comedians, but you may or may not know them. But other comedians playing, doing their sets on, at this festival. Were Frank Sidebottom? No. Mark Hurst, Ted Chippington, and there's Jerry Sadowitz, Steve Frost. Steve Frost, okay. Steve Rollins, Betty Spittle, James McCobb, Chris Luby, Alan Parker, Sean Hughes, Tommy Cockles, and there's Bob Dillinger. <laughs> a lot of the, I don't know any of these names besides Dennis Leary. 
I feel like I've heard a couple of those. Some of them honestly sound made up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm sure, like, you know, the, those are probably not all big stars. Yeah, sort of like I'm just thinking they were probably, like, like up-and-coming Yeah, they comedians. had, like, a year or two of, like, mild success and then unfortunately flamed out. Oh, or fortunately, depending on your opinion. Um, yeah, not a lot of those sound familiar. Yeah. But uh, the other bands that were playing there on Saturday and Sunday were James... De La Soul, Blur, um, Sisters of Mercy, Ned's Atomic Dustbin, Nitsareb, and like uh, <laughs> Mercury Rev. I don't know if you know who they are. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I saw that and I was like, like, I've always wanted to go to like a festival in the UK because I always wanted to see more like UK artists, like Oasis and stuff like that. Right. Because they never really come here. Yeah. And even even watching the the Robbie Williams documentary on Netflix, like he never comes here. He still tours, but he always goes to even though he lives here in LA, he always goes to Europe to because that's where he was huge in. Right. But I was like, why can't you do it here? <laughs> but <laughs> It's time and money and travel. I get it, but he always goes to the UK or he always goes to Australia. I think in that this is totally different now. But Robbie Williams, he tried to he did the US tour when in the early two thousands, and he tried, but it just didn't happen. He wasn't huge in the US like he is in the UK. But, um, yeah, he wouldn't be able to do stadiums. He'd have to do things like Chicago theater style. But like, I don't even care. I'll see that. Of course he would. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> that's not financially worth it to him if he could spend I, his time. Yeah, I know. Because he Europe. used to do like 500,000 people like yeah. stadium tours. Uh, that's what I thought of. Because every time I see like the lineup for a reading festival or any other UK festival, it's always like a bunch of bands I want to see. Because they know, like Chemical Brothers. Like I always want to see them, but they're always there (laughs) but yeah and then i thought this was interesting the the tickets for the reading festival in 1991 was 18 pounds for like a single day admission and for a three-day admission it was 54 pounds and i was like wow (laughs) Like now for that's like that's not a discount. That's just straight up eighteen times three. Isn't yeah, it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a discount, but like eighteen pounds to see like twenty bands that were like gigantic at the time. Yeah, and like some comedians like Dennis Leary. I mean, you, you can't even do that now. It's like a hundred and fifty dollars to go to like a one day thing for like Lollapalooza or. Yep riot fest or whatever that goes on so we move on to rankings and ratings yep where on your one to five star scale are you going to put true identity yeah i'm gonna give this a two two yeah it's not i don't know it's not the worst thing in the world but god was it dull I wanted more out of, like, the conceit of the movie of, like, here's this guy going into whiteface and trying to whatever. Instead, it's just literally just him trying to hide from the mob as this other character and putting on a fake accent. On my zero to four star scale, I'm going to say it's a a one. Wow, okay. It's just not a good showcase of Lenny Henry, despite his best efforts. Uh, 
I, I wanted more out of it. Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch it again? No. No. I watch Bernard on the in the genie. Yeah, I would too. Honestly, I think I would watch that every Christmas. <laughs> now you think you might watch That's, it every that, Christmas? That'll be my Christmas movie instead of like <laughs> I don't even know. Because when, when we talked about that movie, I'm pretty sure you said this would not be an annual Christmas movie. For and me. now I feel like <laughs> after <laughs> seeing after seeing this, I'll make it an annual <laughs> Christmas movie. Uh, yeah, after, and after, after seeing like the remake from Peacock too, like, yeah, yeah, the remake is not that great. No, it's not. It's it's surprisingly like I don't know, <laughs> lifeless. Um, Bernard and the Genie is definitely the the better of the two Lenny Henry nineteen ninety one movies. Uh, I still want to see more of him in general. Um, yeah, I'll see his stand up and what he's done throughout the years. But uh, I don't have any desire to go back and watch this one again it just doesn't doesn't flow well at all it takes way too long to get anything to have happen and not a whole lot happens when it does uh but if you out there do want to watch true identity as of this recording in january 2024 it's only available on digital rental vhs or dvd as always check your local listings you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms please remember to rate review subscribe and tell your friends email us at 1991 movie at gmail.com follow us on twitter instagram letterbox youtube just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the fullest of movies, longer show notes, and more. Next week, like we were saying earlier, we're going to be watching The Five Heartbeats. That's on Max, Digital Rental, VHS, and DVD. We'll see you then.